Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safer Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Carl. So we are doing this one without Brandon this week. And then after that, we're going to split you guys up just for scheduling purposes. So we will be out on Mondays from now on. So enjoy us. If you caught us right now on Monday, you can expect that in the future. Also want to throw out a plug for Patreon really quick. We got all sorts of content. I'm dropping something today and I can't remember what it is, but (laughs) I'll plug it again next week. So if you want to support the show, that's a good way to do it. Anyway, what do you want to talk about first? Uh, Let's talk about what's fresh in my mind. (laughs) But I'm going to start it with a little story, which is that me and Alex were going to both talk about Nope today, but only Alex can talk about Nope because I was going to go to see it with my daughter and we didn't actually make it through the trailers because I forgot how much she hates being scared and the trailers were insanely freaky for this (laughs) movie and it's a shame because from what i'd heard this is not a horror film no it's that he made so it's like it was really just endlessly disappointing that she didn't make it to the movie itself to see something that i think could elevate her taste in movies and stuff (laughs) i was like get them when they're at her age that's when you show them like a jordan peele you know yeah and then it makes an impact i showed serenity us um i guess it was last year Oh, yeah. There's no way. There's no way Annika could handle that. Right. But Serenity (laughs) really, really loved it. And then we wound up going to Candyman together. Um, I had a Blu-ray for Get Out and I cannot find it. So we haven't watched that yet, but that's definitely on the list. And she just happened to get into Key and Peele anyway on her own. And then so we watched a bunch yeah, of that those helps. together. So, um, But she also likes horror. So, you know. But one of the other trailers, like the one trailer that I saw in the movie that wasn't freaky in some way was for this Amazon Prime show, Paper Girls. And I thought the premise from the trailer seemed pretty fun. And all the girls seemed to be fun. So I thought, I'm going to bookmark this for like, check this out when I get a chance. And since I missed Nope, I was like, let's watch this episode. And uh, you watched the pilot. I did. I watched the pilot and about half or two thirds of the second episode. And uh, overall, what did you think? It's not my speed. You didn't care for it. (laughs) Well, I should premise this first with we were going to record and then you told me you didn't watch Nope. And I was like, well, do you have anything we can talk about to replace it? Because I'm going to (laughs) give a spoiler free review of Nope in a little bit. And it's not going to be very detail oriented. I'm hoping to have another conversation about it when you or Brandon get a chance to watch it. But so I had no idea what I was going to watch. I just knew it was called Paper Girls. So that could be fucking anything. I did not expect it would be about literal paper girls like who deliver the paper i just didn't know what i was watching and so i was watching it and my initial thought was okay so they're like jumping on stranger things corner which you also identified but you thought was better done well and i don't think it was not necessarily better done but i think that the initial setup is as far as the similarity to stranger things actually goes Mm -hmm. because 
based on what happens in this show, you can kind of already tell that you're not interested in telling the same types of stories that Stranger Things is telling. Yeah, I agree. They're interested in having a very different set of conversations, particularly with past self, present self expectations. Right. So we only get a glimpse of that in the first episode yes. because it it's revealed. And I guess this is a spoiler for the first episode. But once yeah. again, we haven't. It's gotten in the very, trailer. Yeah, honestly. OK, it's in the trailer. OK, so I hadn't seen the trailer trailer at least didn't remember seeing it like you just get a taste of that right the reason why i didn't like it like i like stranger things is i don't usually go for that kind of thing where it's like young people going through their stuff like i did when i was younger i don't so much care now and stranger things only really hit me because they were constantly paying homage to stephen king john carpenter and steven spielberg and it was really fun for me to like pick out what they were grabbing and they continue to do that. They have allusions to a lot of things from the eighties for sure. Late seventies a bit. And so it like scratched the movie part of my brain, like the cinematic part of my brain. This show's not interested in doing this. This actually feels like it's rooted in the relationships of the kids. And so if that's more your thing, I think you'll really like it. It's not necessarily something I'm into. However, I didn't hate it. And I would be willing to watch more if you're going to watch more so that we could talk about the series as a whole. Would you like to do that for next week? Because I know you plow through stuff well, at a I, quick rate. I really liked it. And I've never watched Stranger Things. I tried the first episode and I, I didn't get into it. And this doesn't feel like that. And I could, I, it was more that rather than saying like, oh, I'm getting Stranger Things vibes from this. It was more like, oh, people are going to compare this to Stranger Things. Yeah. Not necessarily that, oh, this is actually similar, but just like there are enough things in common, time period. But the thing is, is they're doing a lot, they're flipping a lot of these things. The show yeah. only starts in the 80s. Just but, to be clear, I thought about that from very much a, I see how this was greenlit thing, just in that I'm imagining Amazon is like, we can sell this like Stranger Things. I don't think the showrunners was thinking Stranger Things when they put that together. No. Just, just to be clear. I think we're on the same page on yeah, this yeah. one. I'm just, that was just like the part of my brain that processes what happens behind the scenes, you know, because yeah. I was going in cold. I didn't know what I was watching. And then it was immediately clear. I know why they greenlit this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think you'll, this will be one of those shows that you will probably appreciate more as it goes along. I mean, you've seen more than I have, so I haven't really gotten to see the sci-fi stuff at play. I was slightly annoyed at the end of the first episode because it was intensely obvious to me what was going on, and I understand that you need to play your characters not knowing, but... It was slightly irritating well, like, to okay, me. And I understand the that they have to they have to show that from the characters because they're just thrown in. You know what I mean? Like they're thrown in and it's made to give that reveal at the end of the first episode. So I get Are it. you saying like we can spoil it the first episode, I think Yeah. It's fine. Uh you're saying when old the older version they go to the girl's house so a bunch of shit happens and the, the, that's the, the it's very is chaotic like, the sky is like pink so right away you know there's something this atmospheric atmospheric disturbance these weird two guys are like messing with them for some reason and then they wind up this girl gets shot and everything gets kind of hazy because she's kind of in and out of it and so it's kind of sort of from her perspective but not really and then when she kind of starts coming to they're like running from this pod and they keep telling them you don't know where you are you're really far from home they're in their own town 
you know, they wind up going to the house, this uh, one girl's house, and it's the future. Yeah. And she's still her dot her her future self is like still living in the house and is like now in her thirties I think so it's like twenty some years later. Can I tell you the thing I really did enjoy in that and it was fucking nuts when they did it, but I really enjoyed this and I hope that there's more weird non sequiturs like this when she gets shot and blanks out and she's having her kind of surreal fantasy. It's like Ronald Reagan telling oh, her yeah, to be yeah, brave. Yeah. It, like not everybody's gonna make it but you need to be brave and i was just like that's so fucking ridiculous and so rooted in the 80s that i loved it like that i don't know that really sang to me i, I enjoyed that little part of it that was the one that part moment of that was interesting I too because i had a slightly different read of that which was that she was being talked to by like some outside force yeah that's what i think yeah that was like coding itself as Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Sort of in the same vein as, but like, it's also the type of rhetoric that Ronald Reagan would have said yeah, in the eighties. To too. make like a to make a bad comparison uh, in Captain Marvel when she like meets talks to the Supreme Intelligence on Kree and it like processes as something that as she Jeanette can handle. Benny. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It was one of, it was a situation sort of like that. She was communi She was being calmed down. Yeah. By also, an external force. I also read it the same way. Okay. It was just crazy visuals to put up there. And, and he, I really, he's like, I enjoyed it because it said more than, how can I put it? It was a very thoughtful moment. Yeah. Because it clearly was, like at that point, I was tipped off. Like they're probably, it's probably a time travel thing or an interdimensional thing. Like that, That um, by that point, I was like, that's probably what's going on here. It's very reminiscent to what they were just doing in Stranger Things when you realize the ups down is another dimension and so they're going to their home and then they realize they're in a different time period and we haven't totally resolved all of that but like it was similar to that i'm not saying they're copying because i couldn't have known that that was happening like right. these clearly would have had to have been filming around the same time well these are yeah but, they're very vastly different this has what, more in common I, with future man than it does with i don't know though future man's too much of a wink and a nod but i know what you mean like future man's like generic sci-fi like done funny still you know? having time travel-esque conversations yes though. yes but what i was gonna say is like this it would have been easy to have somebody talk to her and like had it as a person or like a kind person or something but the fact that they chose ronald reagan <laughs> like that's a choice dude that's a real choice yeah. and it's a choice that when you think about what's said is rooted in politics as well it's not just because it's ronald reagan it's because of what's said and like processing the person who would say that which i would also add by the way would be the person who would care for that character the least because she's asian and she, like there was yeah. a lot of xenophobia in the i mean there's a lot now she's but a, man it can't hold the candle to the 80s and yeah she's a chinese daughter of an immigrant who speaks very little almost no english and is like terrified of bigots and racists and, and we see the application of that with how she is treated because, yep. I mean, she's immediately like shoved and her papers are stolen. And, and one guy like calls her an awful name because he thinks she's stealing her paper, even though she's delivering it. And yeah. It's, and also doesn't even like sees all Asian people as the same because he's coding her as Japanese and she's Chinese. Right. Because they can't even tell the difference, but they don't give a shit. Like that's not even part of it. It's just about projecting their own anger onto it a target yeah really. it's, it's othering people 
So, and it's a it's kind of a remarkably diverse cast. You've got the black girl who is I think got a maybe a single mom. We only saw the mom. Maybe both parents are there. Who knows? But mo- recent decent house, middle middle income house because her mom is in healthcare and that paid really good in the eighties. <laughs> You've got the Jewish girl from the nice house whose parent who has the last name that is like share the bank. You know that's her last name is the name of the bank in town, and uh, she also has to deal with you know racism because she's Jewish but then on the other hand she's also privileged and white so there's like a good mixture of things there and then you've got the asian girl who's got the aspirations for this big future yeah she wants to be president someday yeah like very much the child's dream especially in the 80s i can speak to that from my childhood so optimistic about her future thinking maybe naively that her hard work is all that she needs to win to get ahead in life and uh and then the fourth girl is something of a tomboy comes from low-income household you know stealing cigarettes from her passed out mom and lighting fireworks to solve her problems acting <laughs> acting real tough like and also being kind of racist to the other girls as well yep. like in very in a very cas- callous kind of like defensive way almost you can and like you can tell that she idolizes her big brother who is a dick to her and she's not even and she's like stole his his walkman and he's like threatening to beat her up for it but then every other word out of her mouth is like my brother would say this my brother would say that and you can kind of tell she's modeling herself after her brothers which is one of the reasons why she's kind of a tomboy that'll probably change when she sees her future brother <laughs> <laughs> that'll yeah, be interesting <laughs> well and also there's these moments too where KJ is the Jewish girl and she clearly is attracted to the tomboy. Every time I see her looking at her and I'm just like, Oh, you're so adorable. (laughs) Like they just all, I like all of these girls so much. Their personalities are all really interesting. And in the second episode, which obviously you haven't gotten to, there is this moment where KJ is simultaneously like crushing on, on, I can't believe I can't remember her name, but then also like she says something kind of offhandedly and KJ's just like you have got to stop fucking saying that shit and like calls her out hard and like is standing there challenging her and I was just very taken by that because I was thinking to myself like she was just acting all crushing on her right and now she's like defiant to her but also like I want you to understand how hurtful you're being because I've got this crush on you and you can't be this kind of person right if I'm gonna like you like I do you can't be this kind of person you know (laughs) i enjoyed that a bit yeah but there's gonna be a lot of stuff on this show of people sort of confronting their future selves and their past selves and coming to terms with things it's gonna be a very introspective if that's where they go we don't know that's what i think yeah i i mean i suspect there's gonna be and then there's healthy amount of science fiction slapped on top of it right because it's the science fiction part of it that like i don't know ultimately where it's going but then again we've, we've seen very little of it so far you know so. what to me this feels like a show written by somebody who cut their teeth writing doctor who episodes and like wrote particularly good doctor who episodes and now they're like doing their own thing and okay. so it's got kind of this doctor who science fiction flair to it 
But at the end of the day, it really is a show about characters and relationships. I'm going to give a quick review of Nope. And this will be quick once again, because spoiler free, so you don't have to tune out. That's the Jordan Peele guarantee. We won't spoil Jordan Peele for you. No way. Until next time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, when I walked into it, I did have high expectations. I'm, I'm going to put it this way. I still think Get Out is one of the best movies I've ever seen. I think if AFI ever updates their list, it's going to be a fucking tragedy if it's not on that list, which is not impossible because horror is not really honored there. But I think the fact that it got an Oscar, there's a real chance for it. I think movies like that only come around every like 20 years or so. And I thought Us was fantastic. Like It's not as good as Get Out, but nothing else is. So What is AFI? Uh, American Film Institute. Institute? Yes. Uh, who are these people at the Institute? So that involves the Directors Guild. You and sure it involves, it's not just people with money? It, it's the making arbitrary decisions. It's the Directors Guild, it's the Producers Guild, and then mm. they put money from their guild into this, and then they do things to preserve film. They run AFI schools where you can go and they'll like put money for you to develop projects. Like that's how Eraserhead got made, for example. He went to an AFI oh, right. school. I guess it's good for at least one thing you said. <laughs> well, that's good that's thing. the example I know. But <laughs> they ha- I know they have a college in uh, in Los Angeles that would you be so cavalier to say how great they were if it turns out that like all the W. Uh, S. Anderson, Paul W. S. Anderson movies were made because of thanks to them. I, I would turn my. That's opinion. a huge negative. <laughs> but I also think that they're going to fund a lot of things I don't like. <laughs> yeah, anyway, diverse crowd. Hopefully, so, hopefully. See, that's the problem, though. Is that what if it's probably just a bunch of white guys? I mean, it's everybody in those guilds, so it's starting to diversify. I'm just but saying, I, I guarantee it's overwhelming. All I'm life. saying, my point ultimately that I digressed a bunch of with a bunch of dumb questions with is that if this movie never gets on the AFI list, that means nothing about the quality of the movie. It's still a fantastic fucking movie. I agree. Whether or not it's on that stupid okay, list, I agree. But when something hits that list, it means that a lot of people are going to watch that movie because a lot of cinephiles go through that list and they try and watch everything on it because it's a good way of well, I call those learning. Sheeple. I know because okay, but let's <laughs> let's dive to the bottom of this really quick because right. we got some time. I digressed um, you. I think you've given me an opinion before that like heavily informs this, which is that like you don't really believe in classic movies because no, you think just people award have shows opinions. And, you and think people well, this wasn't an award show conversation. This was specifically AFI. talking about uh classic movies because you told me it's because you think people are incapable of watching something and still finding merit in it because they've been told it's good. A- am I misrepresenting that? Um I'm just saying that some things just like get ingrained. It's when they become the benchmark. It skews the whole thing. It makes it impossible to like rate these things because they're the thing that everything gets rated against. Rolling Stones for a long time, they were like the benchmark and the Beatles, you know? But that's also and because Jimi Hendrix. That's also because boomers were in charge of a lot of the media that we saw. So that's what they But what's fascinating too is that. Also, like the acceleration of culture is a real thing, right? When you look at this difference, like we put in our brains, at least a casual classical musical listener like myself puts Mozart and Beethoven side by side, right? That's the same music, right? 
They're like at least 100 years apart, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They didn't live in the same lifetime with each other. This is this you know? is why I like the and AFI list too though is because history they did comp- one it's in ni- compressed. They did one in 97 and then they did it again in 2007 specifically because so many films were being released to DVD that change people's perspective. Like Jaws for example was not really considered the classic that it is now and I think the difference of that is people seeing it in the aspect ratio and seeing how wide the ocean looks and like like Spielberg is a very visual director and so you when you watch it in that 4.3 format and you watch it in that 16.9 format it just looks very very different and so they did another list because they were like we need to account for that and something like 10 films dropped off the list and 10 more joined the list like Fargo was on the list Fargo got dropped off the list for example they haven't done one since 2007 they've only done two lists and so part of me wonders if they're kind of waiting for the boomers to be out before they do another list because i think that they this is just my theory but i think that they want to like incorporate what generation x thinks a bit and then i think that would be a wise thing to do about every 20 years is to revise the list because stuff just gets old fat too old-fashioned and falls by the wayside. But what if they themselves are the thing that are becoming old-fashioned? Maybe that's why they haven't put out a list in forever. I, I would say, again, it's, they have it's lost directors and producers, so those are constantly changing. And and they're those and producers. And I think screenwriters, are, too, I think, also. So it's like it's people working in Hollywood and, and who are in the guild, so not necessarily working, but have worked in Hollywood. When you see the AFI list, there is a lot of stuff <laughs> from, like, the 60s and 70s on that list and i suspect that half of it will drop out if if they release something in like say 2027 because i think you'll get so many more people that are into it that are going to want to add things to the list that aren't on there you know that's what i like about the list is it's ever evolving i think that's the way to do it you don't put up this hundred and you say that's it these are the best hundred ever nothing can ever top it it's it's absolutely tops like i think this stuff evolves and it should evolve like gone with the wind was considered an absolute classic and i would say that people have really really re-examined that and i don't think it's considered a classic by most people anymore yeah because of the virtues that it extols in it you know like it's yeah it's, and too it's gonna happen with uh gonna happen with kubrick too someday i think that critical reappraisal is starting to happen i don't think we've gotten there yet but that's a tough one because he moved the medium forward in so many ways but also he's so problematic in so many ways he normalized behaviors that became commonplace on movie sets that were like just highly highly toxic yeah i'm not disagreeing and like you always see this weird thing where they're like hollywood did this today hollywood does that hollywood and i'm like you think hollywood is a monolithic entity instead of like millions of different voices all screaming to be the loudest over each other and all wanting different things and all wanting the same thing, but wanting different things and wanting the same thing. It's kind of the same as, as saying like the government, right? Because the government is not one individual thing. It's a ton of people, but you can see trends from, from an institution. How can you say Hollywood is like, Oh, so woke, but then also Hollywood is like pro military. Right. Yeah, which is a thing constantly examined on uh, the Real War Project, for sure. Yeah, and it's like, it can't be a single entity and both, you know? It's got to be like a bunch of different things that kind of, it's like a flock of birds. 
you know, how they all move as one. They appear to move as one. But really, they're all just kind of trying not to crash into each other. And a lot of them are just drifting on the aerodynamic, you know, nature of the air being pushed by all the other birds around them. They're probably, they probably don't have to put a lot of effort in to like just be carried along. Yeah. And I think that's actually a pretty apt metaphor for a lot of the smaller fish in Hollywood that kind of just like get swept along, you know, just by, by virtue of association, you know, you get these like reality shows have all these weird spinoffs and like, there's just these people that kind of get famous for very weird reasons and then just kind of stay famous. Yeah. So going back to note, there we go. (laughs) So I went in with high expectations and I tried to temper them somewhat. And so I was a little disappointed when I walked out of the movie because I wasn't engaging the movie on the terms that it was saying. I thought that we were going to see something way more akin to his first two movies. Like where horror. Not that. Where the social commentary is way more strong. Like, I think you walk away from Get Out and you understand what Get Out's about. And then you rewatch it and you see all these little nuances that support it that you may not have seen in the beginning. But once you figure out what they're talking about, like... You're like, oh, and you think back to all these examples and then you see the little tiny examples. Right. And like us is really about America, for example. And it's about a lot of different things with America. But like, I think people will watch it and they'll immediately pull out metaphors while they're watching it about duality. And like who we are as a country and how we act one way and then, but we are actually a different way, right? So I go into this movie and that's not what it is. It's got some social commentary that's there for sure, but it's subtle and it's not the driver of the movie either. And the driver of this movie is more a Spielbergian movie. And I've heard Jordan Peele say going into it that he wanted to make something more in line with Jaws. And I think that is a good comparison when you go to watch this. Basically, you have this family and our two leads. You have Kiki Palmer, who's very gregarious and outgoing. And then um, Daniel Kaluuya is very quiet. You've seen these ranching people, right? That just, they don't talk much and they kind of go, yep. And like, that's most of the, like, he is very much that type of person, like knows what he's doing, but also like not great with communicating with people. And this whole movie hinges on they want to get a picture of this alien. Keith David's in the beginning of it, (laughs) and he gets killed off immediately. Mm. But it's the inciting incident for the movie. And so they get this tragedy, and it completely fucks this ranch that they're running, which essentially they handle horses for movies. And they don't want to lose this ranch. And this alien is somewhat responsible for Keith David dying. If it's an alien, they never actually say, but it's definitely alien to anything you've ever seen. And they're trying to get a picture of it. That's essentially what the movie is. Now, I would see this movie in a very big screen. It was definitely shot for IMAX. And we have an XD screen here in Helena, which is not as good, but definitely huge. And they have many, many shots where you see somebody on the ground looking up. And you have all of these clouds and you're trying to spot the thing you're looking for. It's shot that way for a reason. It's shot that way so that people, and I I saw this in the crowd, everybody's darting their heads back and forth, like looking at stuff. (laughs) Like I would definitely watch this on a big screen if you get a chance. And I think on those terms, it's slow, but it's good. It's like Jaws, dude. Jaws is not a quick paced movie. Like there are parts 
where it goes down to a crawl because they're establishing characters, they're subtly setting up things, and then when the action happens, it's gripping. And that is definitely what this movie is. So on that front, I think it absolutely works. I think people that aren't usually into Peel shtick are going to enjoy this movie. Now, if you're really into Peel, there is one overt message, which I won't get into because I don't want to spoil it, but he definitely lands it. There's these scenes that don't seem to connect to the rest of the movie. And then towards the end of the movie, I think everybody is like, oh, I understand why those scenes are there. Like they're there to demonstrate what the thesis of the movie is. Now, there are more subtle themes. And this is something that I want to wait for a bigger conversation, but it took me days to start thinking about them because this movie hasn't left my mind. So I do think it's a good movie because it's been sticking in my mind and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. Somebody on Letterboxd actually said something really good to me because I, I wrote my review and somebody was like, I felt the same way and I've been thinking about it a lot in the last couple of days. He said, I think it's not a show where it's a grower. And I think he was very close to that comment, but I actually think it's a shower and a grower. I think it like shows you the OPEC things that everybody's going to glom onto and things that they enjoy going to a movie for. Like if you want to watch a fun alien invasion kind of movie, this has a lot of those tropes, but I think it will also grow on you as you think about the subtle little things. It definitely feels like a departure point for Peel in that he's doing a different kind of movie than he's done in the last two. But I do think it holds together and I do think it's worth the time. Now, if I was to rank the three of them, it would be my third favorite. But we just established how much I love Get Out and Us. So this is not to slam that movie. But I would check your expectations when you go in to watch it if you're a Jordan Peele fan. I do think that there's some worthwhile stuff there. I just think it's one you're going to have to think about for a while. Okay, enough about Nope. Nichelle Nichols died. And I wanted to jump into that because we're still on the sci-fi train here. We haven't been doing news, but the reason I bring it up is she was really important, man. Like Star Trek, that original series was really important. And there's that really famous story. I'm sure I'm not surprising anybody that she was thinking about quitting it to do a Broadway play in the first season because she was hardly getting any lines. They didn't really use her that much. And Martin Luther King Jr. was upset at her. And he was like, you need to stay on because you're finally showing people somebody who's black, who's in charge. Like she was a lieutenant commander. She was third in charge of the Enterprise. You know, and he was like, that's important that people see those positions. And I remember first hearing that with when I was a kid and it sounded inspiring. And then when I was older, I was like, yeah, but is that kind of overstated? Is that just a thing that they kind of use to prop up the show's legacy? And then I was researching Star Trek a couple of years ago and found out that like Whoopi Goldberg cited Star Trek is super important because when she was a kid, it was the first thing she ever watched where she saw a black character that was not a nurse or like a waitress, you know, like it was always these like mammy characters that she was used to. And she like called her mom into the, the room and was like, look, she's on a starship. She's not doing any of this kind of stuff. And it really, really inspired her. She said that was like the number one thing that captured her imagination. that got her thinking about acting when she was a kid was watching that portrayal. So I do think it was really important. And it's a bummer that it sounded like she may have been taken advantage of by her manager in the last couple of years of her life. Like she was homebound for about five years. She was actually a trailblazer. She legit was. And people credit her with the first interracial kiss. And I would say that by 
adding some caveats to that. It's not the first interracial kiss that was actually in the 60s on a variety show. And so a lot of people would counter that by saying it was the first scripted kiss, but it actually wasn't. I Spy, which was running at the same time as Star Trek, a couple months earlier had an episode where Robert Culp kissed a Vietnamese girl. But people weren't really thinking about it, and it wasn't a huge moment on the show. When Star Trek did it, they definitely let people know it was going to happen, and then they got canceled in a bunch of southern stations. So it's one of those things where like, it was done a couple of times before, but Star Trek did the example that everybody knew about in pop culture and so it gets the credit and i don't think that lessens it like they were the only one of those three that got a cost from it because i spy kept going and it flew under the radar and nobody really thought about it and the variety show nobody really talked about it it aired once it never aired again because it was a variety show they didn't do reruns all that often but like star trek lost a third of their stations because of that. Like the South just would run the news and run like syndicated programs and stuff during the Star Trek slot. So they actually paid a cost to it. So I do think it's important. I don't mean to lessen the impact, but not really the first either. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Michelle Nichols? She was pretty great. Didn't really watch Star Trek original series. So didn't have, and that's, you know, maybe I've seen her occasionally in cameos here and there. She seemed like a delightful lady. Yeah. Yeah, she seemed nice. One other thing. Coincidentally, this week, Real War Project is putting up an episode on Star Trek Four That is up right now. And they actually do talk about that story with Martin Luther King Jr. in it. And they talk about Nichelle Nichols' role on Star Trek. Total fucking coincidence. They recorded this months ago. And the last episode... They actually said that they were doing Star Trek Four, so they had no idea that it, sometimes this shit just lines up in weird ways, you know. But if you're feeling the loss of Nichelle Nichols, go check out that one. It's a really good episode, and they talk about it for two and a half hours. So if you like Star Trek Four, you can get two and a half hours to talk about it. <laughs> okay, so we had one other thing to talk about here. This was one you wanted me to watch. We talked about it on our video on Instagram, which if you like Redwood Sound Labs on Instagram, you can hear me interviewing all the different members of the network. And Carl brought up the old man, talked about it a tiny bit, and then that convinced me to go watch it so we could talk about it. So this is that moment. We're going to talk about the old man because they put up all seven episodes. It's got Jeff Bridges. It's got John Lithgow. It's got Ali, Ali Shawkat, yeah, from Arrested Development. What grabbed you about this show? Well, I'm a sucker for um, Jeff Bridges, and I didn't actually realize John Lithgow was in it until I was watching the show, and he showed up, and then I was like, "Oh shit, John Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow are in the same show. That's fucking awesome." Yeah. And then it wasn't until like episode three that I realized, oh my God, that's Ali Shawkat. <laughs> She's in the episode. She's in all the. Oh, you don't actually don't show meet her, her at first. You at just first. hear her voice at yeah. first. And then there's this lady that gets involved with um, you know, Jeff Bridges. I, and I forget the actress's name. Going but, backwards really quick. Uh, Amanda spotted Ali Shawkat before I did. She was like, oh, it's maybe from Arrested Development. I was like, no, no, she's got tons of freckles. And she was like, no, look more careful and i was like oh you're right because she was so darkly lit i didn't realize <laughs> anyway um i forget the lady's name now that he kind of gets involved with jeff bridges character but i like her a lot i don't even know what i know her from 
if I even do know her from anything. She is in tons of things because I also looked her up. Amy Brenneman. So she was on a show called Judging Amy, which like was kind of impossible to not at least see commercials in the 2000s. She was the titular Amy. Yes. Okay. She was in Heat with De Niro and Pacino. She was in Fear, the one with like Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg. So yeah. She's great. And then I was just intrigued at how the show kept sh- sort of shifting what it was because it was like it felt like a spy thriller at first yeah well i mean it started out as like old guy uh doing a born thing yeah but then it wasn't that that's very a lot of it is like reckoning with the past yeah you know what it does it starts out as a spy thing and then it goes into like tom clancy kind of territory it is based on a book yes and so it feels like a tom clancy kind of joint for a little bit like a jack ryan thing right where it's like it's talking a lot of politics interspersed with some action scenes and then it becomes a straight-up drama like a talkie even because there's whole episodes where almost no action happens it's just a lot of very charged conversations yeah where they're like literally trying to like get the other person to understand like their intentions with whatever they're doing that part of it fuck dude i hate that i think this way now because i didn't think about it till the second those parts of it i realize are like probably post-pandemic because i think this thing started filming before the pandemic and then mm. finished after. And so yeah. there is a lot of scenes where it's like two people having accomplishing a lot of things in a room together. But that doesn't make it bad. It's just like, it's just is what it is. It starts to shift gears as you're watching it. Yeah. And then it ends on a pretty severe cliffhanger. Okay. This is where we should throw out spoilers i think like basically if you want to watch this without being spoiled and i think this will be where we end the podcast talking about this show so you can turn it off wait no i need one i got one other thing but that's not spoiled no that's not this show (laughs) okay but it'll be quick okay anyway so we'll get back to that quick thing later (laughs) so just fast forward but if you want to get spoiled continue listening Okay. okay. It ends on this cliffhanger there, where you find out. you. I guess it's a cliffhanger in that you learn. Well, no, no, it's definitely a cliffhanger. You learn that the character that is both the main character's daughters are neither of their daughters. <laughs> and that Jeff Bridges helped his wife, I suppose, abduct her child with this warlord guy. And so he's been looking for his daughter for most of his life, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure abduct is necessarily the right term. Though. Well, from his we don't perspective. Know, right. From his perspective. Sure. We don't know everything that happened. That's the thing is like it's shocking, but we don't. It's know also the shocking details. for Jeff Bridges because in a single moment, he's starting to wonder if his entire relationship with her was him being groomed to be an asset. Yep. And that she was an even deeper spy than he was. He thought he was the special super secret spy going into this foreign country and manipulating people and she was manipulating him the whole time maybe we should get generally into what the show is because i don't think we really hit that yet but basically jeff bridges is a spy he's alone 
seems to regret a few things. All of a sudden, somebody goes to abduct him in the middle of the night. And you find out over the course of it, John Lithgow is his like surrogate brother, essentially. They used to work in the CIA together. Jeff Bridges was embedded in another country. In Afghanistan. That's important. I, I read in them. the novel, it was Libya. They updated it to be Afghanistan. Helping a specific warlord like gain power. Like doing what the CIA does. Like looking for Russians. spots where you can like destabilize something to and they were fighting they were also fighting a proxy war against russia so they're using locals to fight the russians basically yes and he identified that if i help this one warlord out that will help the russians leave quicker and he gets used by the wife we find out over time who has died before the series starts we also find out that like John Lithgow has gotten to the FBI. At a certain point, he tries to get Jeff Bridges killed because he's worried that the stuff he helped him do is going to come back on him. And destroy his whole career. Yes. And then we also find out that his number two happens to be Jeff Bridges' daughter, who also looks at, at John Lithgow as like a surrogate father. And so that is, that is what we're referring to where like we find out she is not Jeff Bridges' biological daughter. Yeah, we thought that she was, and then we find out she's not. But we knew the whole time that she was, we thought she was Jeff Bridges' biological daughter, and then we knew that John Lithgow had sort of raised her or provided that fatherly figure role for her in her life while she was in the academy or whatever. Yes. And he tapped her and to be... There's some guy pulling the strings at the top for John Lithgow and Jeff Bridges that and everybody was else. was originally their superior. Yes. And he was the one that was ultimately responsible. And he's trying to clean things up the old school way by like... Murdering everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Making people disappear. And then he's going to like serve up the girl and make her the fall guy for everything. But he's missing the piece of information that... She is what Hamzad's been looking for the whole time because she is his daughter. Right. And so she winds up somehow being delivered to him at the end of the episode. So like that is. A and that's a where it ends is with her arriving at his place. And I don't think they even say anything to each other before this. They haven't even ends. seen each other yet. Yeah. She's literally getting out of a car when they end. So. Yeah. That was an, I was like, and I, when that episode ended, I was like, damn, that's intense. I can't wait for the finale. <laughs> Because I'm used to an eight episodes, yeah. you know, even numbers. I knew it was seven before I finished it. And so knowing that it did feel like a finale to yeah. me, I will say that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good show. I got to say, I'm like, looking forward it's a to mishmash of a lot of different things, but it's a mishmash in a way that works. Um, I feel like there's threads of the Godfather in this, just in that it's very obsessed with power and who wields that power yep. and why they wield that power. And then how it can intertwine with family and surrogate family. Like, this is what the Godfather movies were built off of. I think it's why they're poured over again and again and again is because those are questions that people really like having answered and watching the different ways in which that can unfold. And so this movie is very interesting watching it that because the guy who pulls the strings at the top is a surrogate father to John Lithgow and Jeff Bridges. And then like Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow are a surrogate father to her. And now they've revealed that this other guy who we've looked at as a shadowy villain, although from the flashbacks, doesn't seem like it. We've never seen any indication in the flashbacks that like he's a terrible person. All we know is what she's and the wife is an unreliable narrator. It's 
all we really know. Like, she hasn't even said horrible things about him. Like, the only bad things we know about him are delivered through these characters who we don't understand what happened. We still don't understand exactly what happened. So we get their versions of things, but they're constantly lying to other people. So it's like, it's hard to know, man, (laughs) which is what makes this movie fascinating. It's all the layers that are there. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully next season will come out soon, (laughs) probably a year or so. Uh, the other thing I wanted to to compare it to a little bit, and this is just like one aspect of it, like Jeff Bridges' characters aspect, is it does what Bond had been trying to do since Pierce Brosnan, but never really had the balls to do, which is just just identify that like, yeah, spies are kind of not good people. Like that's they actually like go to great detail to show you why they're not good people. And yeah. they they even like talk about the things that they do and how they can accomplish it. But then they get power struggles like everybody else. And we always get these lines, especially in Brosnan's movies where they'll talk about like uh, Sean Bean says it in Goldeneye, for example, he's like, do you ever hesitate when you're drinking your martini at night, James, thinking of all the screams of women you, that you failed and like tries to like lay out all these guilt on James Bond. But at the end of the day, even though he's a dick, you know, he's going to do the right thing. At no point can you really be confident Jeff Bridges is doing the right thing in this show. You know what I mean? Because everything he does has an angle. And even people that he's close with who are like personally affected by him, i.e. his daughter and John Lithgow, can't make a case that he's doing the right by them either, you know? And you can't make the case that John Lithgow is doing right by other people or any of them. They're all bad people to an extent, you know? Yeah, well, and they're also people that have grown much past their these prior decisions. They're very much different people than they were when they made those decisions, but now they're dealing with the consequences catching up from those decisions, catching up with them decades later when they are, they would have handled those things. If, if the consequences had happened immediately in the aftermath of them making their decisions, they would have handled them very differently. Right. Like the titular old man who's the surrogate father of the two, as we're talking about his reckoning is that he didn't tie off the loose ends when he should have. Yeah. Like he, he didn't take care of the shit when he should have. And now he's older and less effective. And his decision-making is being questioned by everybody. You have like John Lithgow is concerned with his legacy and his legacy is at risk now because of what happened in the past. And Jeff Bridges character, he's in danger of losing family because of what he did. Ironically, wouldn't have that family if he, <laughs> like not made those decisions right. but still like he didn't ever do the right thing or tell the truth or anything like that and was a lot more gullible than he realized thought he was the one pulling strings when he was the one when he was being pulled yep yeah it's really fascinating it's funny too because there is a moment too where like the the husband confronts hamzad confronts the wife who's his wife at the time and he starts to like go Oh, I, it was, I did this thing because of my CA. And she's just like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> Here's the real truth. And it, I think that in that moment, she reveals the truth that even Jeff Bridges didn't know, you know? And that should have been his first clue that, like, oh, hey, maybe I'm also a tool. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, definitely check out The Old Man. It's worth a watch. Very happy it got renewed for another season. So what was the last thing you wanted to talk about? A new Maggie Mae Fish video dropped, and it's called The Hero's Journey is Bullshit. (laughs) It's pretty solid, actually. Basically, she just talks about how the hero's journey is this thing. Joseph Campbell, 
mm-hmm. came up with it. It's a cycle. You can see it reoccurring throughout history. The gist of it is that her video basically is making the argument that Joseph Campbell said these things and influenced a lot of stuff like Hollywood and the news media and all these different people. And the problem is that he presents his concepts as this universal thing. And that makes it sort of free of, that makes it purely objective. And it's absolutely a product of his own biases. And he had, he was not an objective philosopher like he would want to believe just that like you have to temper his ideas with like he would go through different cultures and pick and choose stories and he would he would focus on stories that supported his theory and he would outright ignore stories from other cultures that didn't support his theory so he was just as human and flawed as any one of us and his ideas are interesting but it's a shame that we're putting so much emphasis as like that's how you tell a story because it's just a way to tell a story you know it's not the you know way interesting about that i have never thought that you had to follow the hero's journey to do a story it's just one of those things that once i was aware of it i watched his videos and i was like okay that's what it's all about and then like you can see it in so many movies because yes they like a and lot of people look at that as a template for a script well, like, even thing, to the point like, of like the refusal of the call right like sometimes you jump through that so fast just to hit the beat like you'll have Arnold Schwarzenegger chopping wood in Commando and they come up and they're like we need you to to go after this guy and he's like I'm retired I don't do that anymore and then his daughter suddenly gets kidnapped and then he's in he's past the refusal of the call it happens in like a minute 45 you know what I mean it's ridiculous but they just do it because like that's what you're supposed to do with the screenplay and I don't think that's any way to handle writing I don't think it's a good way well, I think that's if you the want thing to use that, that as an example it's fine but a lot of people are like your structure's what, broken you need to do this and I think that's kind of ridiculous it becomes what they teach in screenwriting classes you know like it is the model and and that's a problem I think but it's not always the model it's just often the model there was a period where it was like if you were being taught how to write stories yes that's what you were being taught. Right. Like people would base entire curriculums in their college courses around Joseph Campbell. So, and, and it's impact obviously. And if we're, and is, if we're being real, a lot of that is a star Wars effect because he wrote George Lucas was taught by Joseph Campbell. Joseph and then, Campbell helped him write Star Wars. Not exactly. Like, okay. So he took Joseph Campbell's classes, like knew him and then called him when he was working on empire. And so like Joseph Campbell was talking about like structure. And so George Lucas wrote that into star Wars. Then he talks in the press about it. That gets PBS interested in giving him these documentaries. His books suddenly get wider availability. Like it makes it popular. It really, Really got ushered in because of Star Wars. I don't think they were looking at it from screenwriting classes because of that. It's like weirdly one of the ways in which Star Wars is super influential is like Lucas put this guy up on a pedestal and then a lot of people like started following that model because like it worked for Star Wars. So well, you know what's <laughs> you funny know? and it works for for everybody. Honestly, it works for everybody. It works for friends. It works for uh fucking Star Trek. It works for Fringe. It works for X-Files. It works for fucking Breaking Bad, Oz, 
Sopranos. When does Walter White individual have a, episodes? Hold on, hold on. Individual okay, I was episodes. Say, when does Walter White have, have the refusal of the car? I'm saying individual oh. episodes have arcs that like follow this structure, especially with TV shows. Not necessarily with more longer form serialized stuff, and they are very much also breaking a lot of that. In, right, because there's day a different there's a different structure. But I mean, for like TV. Vince Gilligan for sure would do that with X Files episodes. But this was the thing that I was thinking about. It's like so you've got like say a show like Fringe, right? And they'll do like in a 24 episode season, they'll do like maybe 16 episodes that follow the Joseph Campbell model, right? Of like progression. Or they'll have like six episodes where they just are like, we're doing weird stuff conceptually with the episode. And I think there's a lot of TV shows that do. Community was also a show that loved to like parody other shows. And so like, here's our found footage episode. Here's our law and order episode. Here's our blah, blah, blah. Right. And you're like doing for one episode. But this was like, say with Fringe, like one episode that's shot like Rashomon. Right. What if it was flipped and it was like 20 episodes of Rashomon and then like four episodes of Joseph Campbell structure? You know, like we are very much that is the he has managed to make the hero's journey the default story in American culture. Marvel for for fiction. Yeah. Marvel default. It's the default for Marvel. I don't know if they've really strayed from I it think, yet. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know man. if they've strayed from it yet. They have, but I think it's way bigger than Marvel. I think it's in particular more than anything action movies. If you have action in your movie, they almost always go back to that structure. Like almost all action movies do. And that. then like what's interesting is they'll do things like they'll say, okay, we're going to continue to follow this structure but to sort of give you something fresh, we'll just tweak the structure. So we won't fundamentally change it. That even may be why there's backlash against Taika Waititi, because like both of the Thor movies follow the Marvel structure or the hero's journey structure. But throughout the entire thing, it's kind of like going like, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more, know what I mean, know what I mean, you know? And it's like, say we're doing the hero's journey again, you know? Like, isn't this going to be fun? Let's, we're going to kind of tease ourselves about doing this again. But they're still doing it again, you know? Right. It, and, and so there's that familiarity and yes, I suppose fatigue, even though it's like, if you really are getting fatigued by that sort of thing, the fatigue should have set in like centuries ago. <laughs> this ain't new. It's not new with Marvel. They This has been going on for fucking decades. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Since Star Wars. <laughs> Since Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Thanks, I, Joseph. That's what I'm saying, though. It's like... <clears throat> it's like it's, You know what it is? Writers, they don't think they like to have a box, but they kind of like to have a box. Yeah, because, box and I will helpful. say it's helpful. Like, our show has a box somewhat. And we will choose to, like, color outside of the the walls of the box sometimes because those walls are there and it's fun to break them. But like scat breaks, yes, but there's a structure. And so it's like, it's easier to work within a structure because you can do so many fucking things in that structure. That's the thing to say, like commando Scarface and empire strikes back are the same movie is very movie. disingenuous, but they all come from the same structure. Uh, they're the same exact movie. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, watch Maggie Mayfish's new video, The Hero's Journey is Bullshit, because it's pretty great. And, like, 
there, there was a comment. She she shared a comment on her YouTube video about Fight Club. And it was like, this is the worst, most shit take on this movie. Only men should be allowed to review Fight Club. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. The movie is so much better than like half the population. And I'm like, oh, it's like the, the best thing. Like you described it well when you were talking to uh, Steve the other day outside the B&B. The funny thing about that movie is you got to keep watching it. Yeah. Because like you watch it and you're blown away and then you watch it and you're kind of like, wait, wow, that's totally different from what I originally thought. And then you watch it and you're like, wow, I kind of hate this. And then you watch it and you're like, wait, they they did that on purpose. And then you're like, watch it again. And you're just like, this is fucking art. Because like if you stop watching it too many to after too many times, you turn into a certain type of awful, toxic piece of shit. And it's like, no, you got to yeah. keep watching. You it. know what's interesting about it? I've <laughs> So since I did that, that podcast about Fight Club, I've had a lot of people talk to me about it. And I've heard so many people that started some sort of Fight Club or wanted to start it like they did it like maybe <clears throat> once. And I'm just like. How did you get that from that movie that that's a good idea? Because even the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't want to do that. That seems like a bad idea. But yeah, people take different things from Man, I know from their I, I've read people that I don't know if they were saying this for internet points or if they really did this, but they lied themselves. They put lie why on their own hand. Why would you do that? Uh, because I mean, it I know was why a they say in the transformative moment but... for the character. <sighs> And they wanted to go through that. And they, like, fucked their hand up bad. Of course they did, dude. So does he. And, like, he doesn't really need that transformative moment. He's doing it as a distraction from what he actually feels. He's running away from his feelings. That's what people aren't getting. They haven't watched it for the 75th time. Yeah, you gotta keep watching <laughs> it. So if you've watched it for 75 times, you realize that he is projecting all of this terrorist shit because like he is afraid of his feelings he's afraid of his feelings for his girlfriend for like everything and so all of this shit is a distraction to like move him away from actually yeah. making real progress in his life also i want to uh shout out again my other one of my favorite videos of hers which is called the schneidecker paradox and she compares Rob Schneider to Tim Heidecker. And it's fat because there's this one stand up special that Tim Heidecker did where he plays a character. And it's a Tim very Heidecker star of us. It's a very <laughs> specific. Um, she actually references his performance in us in her video. Um, he plays a very specific character, which is like this aging comedian that is just like struggling to stay relevant and like really gets combative with his own audience and like he's doing one, Rob when he's, Schneider <laughs> and well and that's the thing is like that's the joke and when Rob Schneider does it that's who he really is yeah and yep. it's like cringy and embarrassing when it's Rob Schneider and when Tim Heidecker does it as a joke it feels so funny like there's one thing that Tim Heidecker does in this his stand-up special which is like go like I got these cards they got all my jokes on them but you know what Tonight, I'm going to be a rebel. I'm going to be an outlaw. No cards. And then he like tries to do crowd work. And he his the first thing he says out of the gate is like completely shit. 
and he immediately back retreats to back to his cards <laughs> immediately and is like not even a he's like embarrassed and shameful but not a like but like lashing out about it at them like attacking it's like it's their it's fault for not definitely finding the funny. audience's fault right. and then he says problematic stuff and when he doesn't get a laugh for it he lashes out and he keeps doing this call and response thing where he'll be like i'll say a joke and you and then the audience goes laugh you know and it's like oh it's just fascinating and then you watch like rob schneider and it's like i guess there's this show called real rob that's like yeah it's a reality show i've never it's seen not it, a but... reality show oh fuck. that's what's crazy it's it's him doing it's his version of modern family right that one with like uh yeah. or yeah. whatever it's called and or even like arrested development but like uh, oh god you have to listen to her you either okay here's the thing you either got to watch the show or listen to maggie describe the show that sounds of way easier the and two, shorter and i highly recommend <laughs> maggie because she is smart and i love her and watch her videos because they're very smart and well she is, thought out. She is very smart. I like Maggie. I wouldn't Mayfish. be. I wouldn't be pr- pushing this if she wasn't like if she d- hasn't clearly done her homework. She understands what she's talking. About. That's why I'm recommending her videos. All the other stuff is just a bonus. Yeah, that it's in a nice package. And you know, she's even like when she was growing up, she didn't wasn't that way. At least didn't feel that way. And so that's like an interesting thing that now people dismiss her for being too hot on Twitter. And she's like, growing up, I was like this ugly kid. (laughs) You know, it's like now she does her makeup. But a lot of guys, you know, that's the other thing is a lot of people lash out when they're lazy pieces of shit that don't care about their own hygiene. And I don't mean exercise. I'm talking hygiene. Right. That's at the end of the day, all it fucking takes to become an attractive person. That's what I'm going to end our show with today. You want to be attractive? Hygiene. Care about yourself. Wash yourself. Bathe yourself. Shave yourself. (laughs) Comb your hair. You don't have to work out or take diet pills and get a certain size of body. You don't need muscles that are a certain size. But for certain people, you you do. You just... Yeah, but fuck those shallow... But, like, what you need to do is demonstrate that you care about yourself. (laughs) So just take care of yourself. Care about yourself. I think that's a good good message to yeah. leave out on. Take it easy. Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account and you can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not-so-favorite horror films. Scary movie fans beware, or listen to Watch No Evil. News, reviews, and deep dives of the television series and film franchises you love take a tour of the popular media world with Biggs and Brandon on Not Safe for Network. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project. You can find all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts, 
You can find all of these shows on Redwood Sound Labs. 